Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, very glad you're with us for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. It is Martin Luther King Day and... Jim, as is custom every year at this time, we see politicians uh, breaking out their favorite and many of them, of course, extraordinarily inspiring Martin Luther King quotes. And by mid-afternoon, they'll be at each other's throats again. So uh, happy Martin Luther King Day to you. Thank you. I hope everyone is uh, feeling hopeful on this day. It's been a long and difficult journey to get us to the achievements of equality, liberty and justice for all. And that journey is not complete. Hopefully we get there and we can all be inspired by not just Martin Luther King Jr. and the example that he set, but also by that terrific statue up in Boston they just unveiled. <laughs> that was something. Uh, I should something I should say. is exactly the word. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it may, you know, the other other artists are saying it's terrific, it's inspiring, it's different. Uh, you know, I okay, whatever. Good luck. I hope everybody <laughs> likes it. <laughs> So the life of Dr. King is hopeful and inspiring. Uh, you had the NFL playoffs over the weekend, which there were several good games. Our teams, of course, once again, not participating. And Jim, I saw a tweet from one of the Chicago sports stations that the last Bears playoff victory, which was the same weekend as the last Jets playoff victory, was 4,383 days ago. So uh, try not to get too depressed. I mean, I suppose, you know, we, we can still give grief to like Cubs fans, you know, that every, any, any team can have a bad century. But uh, yeah, we really have had a rough decade or two. Cubs have won a World Series since we last won a yeah. playoff game. No, that's the only that's the only difference. Anyway, let's get on to our good, bad and crazy. And Jim, write this day down in history. Don Lemon, unironically, is our good martini today. Uh, he is still at CNN. They've moved him to daytime. And supposedly CNN is going in a more objective, down-the-line approach here under new management since uh, Jeff Zucker et al. were shown the door. It's a work in progress, to say the least, if you watch uh, any CNN. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Don Lemon and a couple of his co-anchors had Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on the program. I think this was late last week as the Biden classified document uh, story was unfolding. And uh, Chuck Schumer's basic response is, well, you know, you got people looking into this. Let's just let's just see how it goes. And Don Lemon, to his credit, didn't let that go, calling out potentially a double standard in how Schumer reacted to the Trump classified document issue and the Biden classified document issue, which the details are, cl- are clearly not the same. But nonetheless, uh, to see Don Lemon follow up like this is, is quite something. Here it is. This is our reporting. According to one justice official, said that the White House public statements earlier this week offered an incomplete narrative about the classified documents from Biden's time as vice president, reinforced the need for a special counsel. The misleading statements created the impression that Biden's team had something to hide. That doesn't sound that much different than the former president. Don, there's now a special prosecutor. Let's see what they have to say. We can have all this speculation and comment Let's see what they have to say, and let's focus on doing things that help the American people. But Senator, I have to, I have to get in into, have to say this: uh, you, you seem much more measured about this than with the Trump documents, because you call for transparency with the Trump documents. You wanted lawmakers to have access to the documents seized from the former president, uh, his residence in Florida, which it seems like you. The bottom line is, I said that night it's premature to comment on what should be done, for and President I stick Trump, by that. Yes, for President Trump. 
That's exactly so right. You think that That's your statements are consistent for I both? I sure do. For both. You bet. So, Jim, is this uh, a blind squirrel finding an acorn, or is this perhaps an example of what real journalism looks like, and we might get a little bit more from CNN? So, yesterday I appeared on Howard Kurtz's program on Fox News Channel, and before our segment, he'd done an interview with Peter Ducey, who has you know quickly established himself as the White House correspondent most likely to generate news when he asks a question. And Howard had asked him something about what made you refer to the Corvette. And it, it, Ducey made this observation that a lot of members of the White House press corps and the you know mainstream media, liberal media, whatever you want to, however you want to classify it, that they react more when there are issues of transparency, issues of access, issues of disclosure. In other words, their self-interest in knowing what's going on is a little bit stronger and a little bit more likely to give a Democratic official grief than when the standard or the issue of dispute is something else. And I think there's something to that. I think that there is something to, you would probably be hard pressed to find many mainstream media reporters who would say what happened between Biden and Trump is exactly the same. And it's not exactly the same. You'd probably be hard pressed to find them who would say what Biden did is as bad as what Trump did. But I think when you now reach the point where three different places have uh, we found classified documents in one place in Biden's office at the Penn Center and another two spots within his house that folks in and there's the, you know, the disclosure. Most of this stuff was found before the midterm elections. No one reported this until the ninth of this year. Uh, No one in the White House disclosed any of this stuff until for, you know, a good two months in there almost certainly because they didn't want this to be an issue before the midterm elections. Would this have made a big difference? I don't know. But there were a bunch of close races. It's conceivable that a bad news cycle would have hurt Democrats' chances in the midterm elections. You know, even Don Lemon can smell something funny is going on here, uh, that this probably was something embarrassing and was a cover-up. And it really makes Biden's claim, ah, this is so irresponsible. And I can't, how could somebody do that? It looks ridiculous in light of this. And so I think even Don Lemon can get this. And I think even Don Lemon you know, knows that the instinct of Chuck Schumer is to say, ha, oh, that wacky Joe, he's he's so disorganized. He's like an absent-minded professor. You know, of course he did something. Which, oh, by the way, was the same kind of um, head-shaking, oh, you know him tone that Bill Clinton took when Sandy Berger was caught stuffing documents into his socks at the National Archives. Um, that this wasn't absent-mindedness. You know, at this point, it's very hard to believe. You know, like, this is now getting to be, all right, how many different places in your house do you have classified documents? And if you do that, you can't say, as Karine Jean-Pierre keeps insisting, Joe Biden takes these issues very seriously. And we don't know where this is going to end. But it does, certainly doesn't, you know, this very, is embarrassing, as Debbie Stabenow has put it. So good for Don Lemon. And I think Chuck Schumer, it, you know, you're better off taking the hit, rip off the Band-Aid and say, yes, this looks bad for the president. He looks irresponsible. He looks like he's guilty of exactly what he accused Trump of doing back earlier in the fall. And then, you know, as Stabenow did, quickly pivot to any other topic. I did love when Stabenow said yesterday that the public doesn't care about these sorts of issues. They're more interested in the economy. Yeah, Greg, because, you know, that, that was the theme we heard a lot last fall, right? <laughs> oh, well, we man. did, but from Republicans. <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. But we also heard Margaret Brennan yesterday on Face the Nation uh, in an interview saying, why are Biden's lawyers who <laughs> don't have the clearance to <laughs> see these documents, the ones searching for them? Why don't we have uh, the FBI or somebody else uh, doing that? So. So we'll see. Some folks, you know, worried about who's uh, been appointed as a special counsel, whether he's uh, totally impartial on this and, and so forth. But uh, we'll see where it goes from here. But uh, to see the media actually 
do its job and look objective on this issue, at least for the and, moment, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah. Greg, before we move on, I just want to make one last point. So we've never really gotten any explanation as to why Biden's personal lawyers were going through the documents at the Penn Center. Right. Uh, like, I, I, you know, I assume when he became president, maybe I, there's, there's never been any explanation for this. So today in the jolt, I kind of walk through this and I'm like, do you think somebody watched Biden saying totally irresponsible? How could you? And anybody on Biden's team said, mm, I wonder if we did that. You know, I, I, it, just, <laughs> it would see the timing fits the idea that. Uh, you know, this turns into this giant issue and somebody in Biden's vice presidential staff or longtime staffers says, you know, I'm not sure we checked every document before we left the old executive office building or we left uh, the Naval Observatory uh, or when Biden was writing his memoirs, you know, all kinds of things. You know, are, are we sure? And I th- that's that that strikes me as a good reason. Maybe they're just doing regular inventory, but it just seems very odd, the timing of this. Um, and that, of course, is what spurred this. So I, I have a sneaking suspicion that's what's going on. Um, then in the end, Biden, you know, uh, was completely oblivious to what was being taken out of his offices back in the 2016. But uh, then again, I guess Joe Biden's oblivious about a lot of things these days. <laughs> That's certainly true. And a couple other things make it worse. Uh, and specifically from uh, the podium, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who I call KGP, some people call Corinne. Uh, she's certainly rivaling Scott McClellan as the worst modern day press secretary, but I'm still not ready to go there yet. He was I think singularly horrible at the job. But nonetheless, uh, when when the Biden team said, oh, we found these papers in the garage, but the search is over, there won't be any more, it's done. And then what was it, a day or two later? Oh, actually there were more in the house. So then, so then your credibility gets dinged even more. And as far as KJP is concerned, what was her comment on Friday? It was, it was basically the process. It was sounding like the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, there's a process here and the process is underway and we're going to trust the process and see where the process goes uh, as far as the Justice Department investigation. And so, Jim, it's all about the process. It's always very convenient for those uh, in public life to say, well, look, we're under investigation. We can't talk about it. Yeah, that's why people have questions. <laughs> But then, you know, now it's under investigation. We can't talk about it. And then later, when the investigation's done, oh, that's old news. Why are you, why are you still asking about that? Mm. That's, that's how these things go. All right. On to our bad martini now, Jim. And last week, we talked a lot about uh, gas stoves and the uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission thinking about, if not banning them, certainly making them far more regulated, perhaps banning them down the road. And then the Biden administration backed off. But other people like Kathy Hochul still think it's a good idea. But it was all based on this supposedly independent study of uh, the effect of gas stoves and other gas appliances, I would imagine, on people's health. And the big number was it contributes to a rise in childhood asthma. Well, Many people thought that was quite suspicious, given how long we've had gas stoves. And now we know a little bit more about what's really at work here, uh, courtesy of the Free Beacon. The green energy group behind a study cited in Consumer Product Safety Commissioner Richard Trumka Jr.'s call to ban gas stoves has partnered with the Chinese government to implement an economy-wide transformation away from oil and gas. Colorado-based nonprofit Rocky Mountain Institute which published the December study that attributes 13% of U.S. childhood asthma cases to gas stove use, is hardly staffed by an objective group of scientists. The organization is demanding, quote, systemic change and economy-wide transformation, unquote, to address a climate crisis, it says, we must go to great lengths to avoid. So, Jim, I'm guessing since they paid for the study, they got the result they were looking for here. And just as an aside for longtime listeners of the podcast, 
We did an April Fool's show years ago. One of them was uh, James Comey says Hillary Clinton was the most truthful witness of all time. So you can tell this is a while ago. Uh, one of the stories, though, was that uh, Nevada, which is another running joke on here due to our Harry Reid uh, uh, coverage over the years, was named the most politically astute state. And I totally made up this organization called the Rocky Mountain Policy Institute. <laughs> and now we know there actually is a Rocky Mountain Institute which is peddling lies, even bigger lies than the, uh, the uh, political astuteness of Harry Reid supporters in Nevada. First of all, Greg, how certain can we be that the people who founded the Rocky Mountain uh, Institute did not get their idea from our <laughs> podcast? If so, we inadvertently released a great evil into this world. And we must hunt it down and destroy it. Um, so when you see this, anytime somebody comes along and says, this thing you've been doing your whole life is actually terrible and dangerous and, and you shouldn't do it. And you sit back and you think, well, you know, are there times where you've left the, you know, the gas on and you've forgotten it? Yeah, that's happened a bunch of times. Um, judging from my uh, viewing of action movies and TV shows, Greg, I would have guessed as an adult that um, on any given, at least twice a year, I would see somebody's blowing up their house because of the gas stove. Deliberately, because they'd been invaded by terrorists or or some sort of bad guy, and you know everybody kind of. I think everybody just now knows that when you're uh, being hunted by a lot of people, you turn on the gas, figure out some way to make something detonate, usually by putting something metal in the microwave, and then you blow up the place. Right? That's just common sense. Everybody kind of knows that now, right? Okay. Um, but beyond that, the idea that oh, you're going to develop asthma or lung problems or pollutants or something because of natural gas. I mean, well, the first thing they said is, well, this happens if you have insufficient ventilation. I'm sitting there thinking, Greg, how bad does your ventilation have to be where using a natural gas is going to, you know, give you serious lung problems? And of course, it needs to be like, you know, like these kind of small apartments that they see that are ridiculous in, I guess, London and Hong Kong and some of these other cities and stuff like that. All right, maybe in that circumstance, it's not good to have your gas stove running for so long. But on the other hand, you're left thinking, how often is that going? And then if you have a hot water heater, isn't the gas going at the bottom of that 24-7? Uh, so, like, this natural gas, which is in almost, you know, I would say in everybody's house, but in lots of houses, has been in lots of houses for generations. Now, all of a sudden, it's this terrible thing that's killing us? Wait, when did this happen? And I remember a judge who wanted to take uh, under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, decided out of the blue, it was some California judge, and they decided out of the blue, this is a violation of separation of church and state. Nonsense ruling. But the guy issued this edict, and he seemed to believe that it was going to cause the entire country to stop saying under God during the Pledge of Allegiance. Unsurprisingly, it didn't, because people don't like hearing, this thing you've been doing your entire life is terrible, and you have to stop doing it immediately. Unsurprisingly, people don't like doing that. And when they do that, they're likely to give you a whole bunch of rude gestures in response. Now, what's really odd is that, um, you know, so if somebody said, quick, get your gas stove out of your house, like, no one's done that in the last couple of days. No one, No one's that worried about uh, the potential health risk to say, I'm getting rid of my natural gas stove. Uh, people who who insist how terrible this is, Jill Biden and AOC, you notice they're keeping their gas stoves. The second thing that kind of jumps out about this is you say, oh, they can't, they don't have the authority to do this. This is just some crazy random group making this. But think about what happened with plastic straws. Now you look at a landfill, look at, you know, do they, do they generate waste? Sure. But a lot of things we do generate waste. And you kind of look at, you ever look at a landfill, any, any you know, footage you've ever seen, you don't see giant piles of plastic straws there. They're small. They're really small and they squish pretty easily. So they can't be a giant chunk of the waste generated by human beings. And it was one erroneous report done out there in California that caused this nearly overnight effort to ban plastic straws. 
There are a lot of things we do that generate a lot more plastic waste, but we don't really worry about that kind of stuff because somebody's decided plastic straws are the crusade du jour. This is why like people are less, uh, I think they, they tune out the environmental movement because the targets of their efforts seem almost random and almost designed to irritate people as much as possible instead of looking at things that actually have a long-term generation. Like say nuclear power or something like that. Something that would have something that would have zero carbon emissions and be, you know, uh, work very well and be long lasting. But hey, we can't have that because, you know, Jane Fonda made a scary movie about it. Yes, yes. Yeah, leaving your pilot light on is a good thing when it goes out. That's a bad thing mm. uh, when it comes to gas. Now, if you got the gas stove, you don't want to just have the gas on. You want to have it lit. And then when you're done cooking, you want to turn it off. But for the most part, it is extraordinarily safe. I know most of us have seen Christmas Vacation where Cousin Eddie unloads the contents of the RV toilet into the storm sewer. And then later the match is lit near it. And there's a problem. But, uh, you know, in the end, if you're even remotely commonsensical, uh, things are going to go fine. And uh, while I am not a gourmet, uh, a lot of people who are uh, say it's much better uh, than electric. But like you said, somebody decides that this is the worst thing ever and that there needs to be immediate action to get rid of these things or at least to phase them out relatively quickly. And the thing that's really disturbing about this is that they make this argument based on scientific studies that seem to be extraordinarily slanted. And surprise, surprise, happened to come up with the exact same conclusion of the organization that put the study together. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And <laughs> we had to come back to this at some point. Uh, so many different questions about New York Congressman George Santos, if in fact that is his real name. We know that uh, it's now pretty much common knowledge. He lied about his schooling, lied about Goldman Sachs lied about uh, all sorts of things. Uh, And now he's lied, as it turns out. This is actually from a political interview he did in the fall of 2020 when he was, I think, unsuccessfully running for Congress. Uh, Talked about how he was a volleyball star at Baruch College, which he never went to. And because of his awesomeness at volleyball, uh, he ended up needing two knee replacements. (laughs) Take a listen to this. We went to to play against Harvard, Yale, and we Slay them. <laughs> them. We were champions across the entire Northeast corridor. Every school that came up against us, they were shaking at the time. And it's funny, I was the smallest guy, and I'm six two. We had on our block, on our on our uh, on our block alone, there were six seven, six eight. These guys weren't jumping; they were just stretching their arms up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were we were animal. All of us should have been playing basketball, but we chose volleyball because it was easier. <laughs> so it was a it was a great time. Uh, I look, I sacrificed both my knees and got very nice knee replacements uh, knee replacements from oh, wow. HSS playing volleyball. That's how serious I took the game. So, Jim, on some level, this is weirdly funny on another sense it's pathetic because uh, this guy's clearly got a problem and he blatantly lied to his constituents so the question becomes what do you do about it the ethics committee is looking into him in the house Uh, the federal elections commission is going after him pretty hard but the question is what do we actually know about this guy you know is he a threat to national security then you have folks on the other side saying look uh, george santos is a habitual liar he has concocted this whole thing But what about other people who have uh, built a whole career on lies? They say, we've got a president who lies all the time. We've got uh, members of Congress uh, in both parties uh, who have done the same. Not necessarily to that level where you completely create a whole other identity. But where do you draw the line is what they say. So where are we and, and what happens from here? I think the first time we talk about George Santos, I had made offhand this crack, if that's his real name. 
Um, one of the most perfectly bizarre things I've seen in the last few days was over on Mediaite. Uh, I guess it came from the Twitter account Patriot Takes. They've got a clip of a guy who looks indistinguishable from George Santos uh, in 2019 at an event in New York where he says, my name's Anthony D. Volder. I'm a New York City resident, and I recently founded a group called United for Trump. So what is his real name? And how often does he go around using another name, not just like under, say, you know, a dinner reservation or somebody like you decide you want your, your you speak in public, introducing yourself under another name. Does this guy have a multiple personality disorder? Like, like the, you know, we're at this point where like um, pathological liars, the, the Occam's razor explanation. Also, just the idea that you'd want to run around telling these, you know, relatively easily disproven lies so much raises the question of, you know, you probably need some sort of deep, deep rooted, serious therapy. And then the third thing is, you know, like we've been saying, oh, you know, well, if you had to get rid of liars in Congress, they wouldn't have a quorum. <laughs> OK. All right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of politicians lie. Well, why is lying bad? Why is lying something we attempt to discourage in our society? Why is there a commandment thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor? Why is this important? And we all talk about white lies. Insert the comedian routine about the wife or girlfriend asking, do these jeans make my butt look big? You know, stuff like that. Or somebody's the worst singer you've ever heard or artwork or something. And it really looks terrible, but you don't want to hurt their feelings. So you say it looks great. Okay. There's those lying, which I think we can agree are white lies, gray lies. Not so, not so terrible. Every day, Greg and I prepare to do this podcast. And if I say, hey, are there any ads today? And let's say Greg chooses to lie and says no. <laughs> and in fact, there are. Well, now we got problems, right? Now that falsehood has consequences. A member of Congress who lies about everything makes it impossible to get anything done. If he says to his colleagues, yes, I'm going to vote for this bill, and then he votes no, well, you know, then you don't have an accurate vote count. Then you don't know whether you can get the bill passed or not. Um, if you say to constituents, I am deeply concerned about this legislation, I will vote against it. And then you turn around and vote for it. Well, all of a sudden, wait, well, you know, what happened? You know, why, why, you know, people walked away satisfied that they'd got, you know, you, you'd agreed with them and it turns out you never did. You, and you know, this goes, you can point back to Biden and his latest stories about how he always went to both Catholic mass and black churches every day of the week when he was 20 in his college. Yeah. Cause you know, college students are known for attending mass twice every day. Right. Um, the stories of you know, Trump, you can go back to Bill Clinton, you can go back to you know almost every president. Yes, almost every president has cases where they've lied. And the problem is that lying generally makes your job harder because people realize they've been lied to, usually, and they get very upset with you. And nobody really knows where you stand. Even when you say things that they agree with in the back of their mind, like, mm, can we really trust this person? Is this, is, are they really going to go through with it? This is a campaign promise. Are they really going to do this? By the way, perhaps this is a good time to remind you, Joe Biden promised he was going to cure cancer on the campaign trail. But anyway, this is where we are. I think George Santos is now incapable of functioning as a congressman. We have you know, scenarios for uh, invoking the 25th Amendment and replacing a president who's losing his marbles. Uh, some may wonder why it wasn't invoked more quickly. Uh, but we, have, we need some sort. maybe we need some sort of equivalent of that for members of Congress who are no longer mentally capable of doing the job but who have not resigned the office because they have no shame. He really does have to go, Greg. And I just don't know what the right mechanism for that is. Yeah, it's curious. Uh, you know, you got local officials in New York looking into this. You got the ethics committee, you've got the FEC. And then I guess it's going to end up uh, ultimately, perhaps, uh, in, in an expulsion vote, maybe. I mean, that but that process takes a while. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember the whole Jim Trafficking thing. I mean, he was under investigation forever, it seemed like, uh, before they finally got around to the vote. And so I don't know how quickly they can move on this. And uh, Kevin McCarthy doesn't seem 
overly concerned about it at this point. But if we really know absolutely nothing about this guy, including his name, that's scary. That's scary uh, because you don't know what he could be. And right now we've got a lot of people around the world that don't like us. And if he's got any sort of connection to them, which we don't know that he does, but if he does, because we don't know anything <laughs> truthful about him at this point, uh, you have to be on guard about that. Yeah, the, but, uh, the, the more dishonest you are, the harder it is to rule anything out. And he's just in this state where like the more you, th- you know, there, there's no bottom. There, there's no end of to this uh, in which you find out, oh, okay, well, at least that part is true. We, we don't know anything about this guy, it turns out. So we can argue about whose fault it is and who should have done more. But in the, you know, in the end, this is what it is. Yes, I understand the argument of the voters should be allowed to you know, draw their own conclusions, but it's now very clear the voters did not have accurate information when he was running in the first place. A whole mess, a whole mess. Uh, so, I'm, I mean, he's going to be gone in two years, I'm pretty sure, but uh, it may need to happen uh, faster than that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens in the House. We'll see what happens in some of these uh, other investigations. But it is weird, weird, weird. Jim? Hopefully we don't get as weird uh, stories the rest of the week, but I have very low confidence that that's the case. But uh, I'll see you tomorrow nonetheless. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Thank you also for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please, please keep them coming. They're a huge help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Monday and please join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.